This episode is brought to you by Carvana. They'll drive you happy. Carvana has purchased over a million cars from happy customers by giving them an offer within minutes. And they can do the same for you. Carvana will give you a real offer for your car within minutes. Then they'll come to pick up your car and pay you on the spot. So to get a real offer on your vehicle in minutes, download the app or visit Carvana.com. Hey, Rick. Hey, John. What's up? Uh, nothing much. How's it going? Going pretty good. That's good. I'm going to go on ahead and introduce the show, and then from there, we'll do our top 10 uh, movies that's based on a true story. All right. Sounds good. All right. Hello, movie lovers. Welcome to the show. For today's podcast, I have Rick with me again. We're going to be doing our top 10 based on a true stories movies. So let's go on ahead and start it off. What was your number one pick? Uh, so my my favorite pick of all uh, based on true stories movies, which used to be my favorite movie for actually a really long time, is Schindler's List. Okay, that's actually my number seven. <laughs> <laughs> so we're good. Yeah, that, that movie, it's just, A, it's a true story, but the fact that it's a true story that's also makes you happy yet cry your eyes out at the exact same time uh, is something that always got me. Uh, Liam Neeson plays Oscar Schindler, who is a real person who was a Nazi, a member of the Nazi party, who was the leader of a work camp controlled by the Nazis, and he risked his life, his fortune, pretty much everything he had in order to save the lives of thousands of Jews during the Holocaust. And it's just such an inspiring story that shows that, like, even in these really dark, dark times of the Holocaust, which, you know, everyone should know all about, uh, there's people who were, quote-unquote, bad, who are actually working for the greater good, and I love it. I love the story. I picked that one out myself, too, because of the fact that there was actually layers to Liam Neeson to where he's like, look, I'm being a shitty person. And it went from saying nine, pretty much, being on Hitler's side all the time and everything, worshiping the ground that Hitler walked on. Then all of a sudden, he does a complete uh, 360, and he has a whole entire thing of just a change of heart and wanting to help these Jewish people in this concentration camp and everything. And I was just in awe over that whole entire fact. You know, there's a layer to that character that we haven't seen before within the whole entire Nazi movement. Yeah, another thing I like, you mentioned layers. They don't paint Oscar Schindler as, like, a perfect person either. They show his flaws. He's kind of an asshole (laughs) in, like, a lot of uh, parts of the movie and stuff. And it goes to show that, you know, like, he's not perfect. He's not, you know, he's not some angel, some saint, yet he's still went out of his way to uh, to help. And I cry every time I see that movie. I'm, I'm, I'm man enough to admit it, especially when it gets to that last scene in the movie. Oh, man, I just start bawling. <laughs> to be uh, honest with you, I mean, I still share tears over that. And basically, 
I'm one of those people, like, for, I'm just going to use this, like, 12 Years a Slave. I only saw that movie once because of the emotional drainage that it had on me. Yeah, this is a definitely, and, definitely a very emotional movie, too. Right, and that's, and get this, I may have seen Schindler's List twice because of that, because of how impactful it is and how much uh, the fact that, you know, you have this, like I said, you have this shitty guy, and then all of a sudden he does a 360, but then everything else wrapped around that whole entire thing of him changing, there's a lot of stuff that's actually unpacked, and then by the time it's done not being unpacked, you're just emotionally drained from that movie. Yeah, definitely and definitely then, ranks among one of my favorite movies pretty much of all time uh, for so many reasons. It's and true. <laughs> Right, it's actually true, but not only that, but, you know, it. I remember in world history class going through that whole entire thing where you see what uh, Hitler's men have actually done to uh, Jewish people in that whole entire community of Jewish people. And it just breaks my heart to actually see them go through that. And then the scene that always made me cry was the fact that, you know, I'm just painting the scene. I'm not going to actually give it away, but just the whole entire scene where the girl is looking up and she's thinking that it's snow coming in. Oh, God. Oh, (laughs) jeez. I I know exactly what scene you're talking about. That part just tore me up. And I even mentioned this on the podcast and everything a couple of episodes back with movies that actually impacted me. And that was one of the movies that actually impacted me. Because of the, uh, because she actually, she's actually thinking that's actually snow coming down, and just to know that it could be a family member that is actually being burnt and stuff like that, and it's actually their ashes. I know I said I wasn't gonna do it, but (laughs) but you know, it's just one of those things that you just have to talk about. Yeah, because because it's history, and because it's history, and because it's based off of history, and you can't rewrite history. You know, it just goes to show you what kind of person Hitler actually was and how much of a control he had over his men. Yeah, this movie definitely doesn't shy away to show the horrors of the Holocaust. It's, it's very graphic with that as well. It doesn't, it, it knows the Holocaust was such a horrible event and it doesn't censor it at all. It, you, you see it, you know, um, you know for a, a pretty good, what these Jewish people are trying to survive. So. Exactly. Um, for my number one, I've got Goodfellas <clears throat> on there. Ah, I love and that movie. <laughs> I do too. From the opening scene when Joe Pesci, Rob De Niro, and then you also have uh, shoot, I know he played Henry Hill, uh, Ray Loretta. Whenever you see them in a car and all of a sudden you hear the little rattling inside the trunk, you're not sure what's going on. It kind of reminds you of a horror film in a way because of the way that scene is. And then all of a sudden they get, they open up the back of the trunk and it's Phil in the back of the trunk, which is the character's name is Phil. And they, he, Joe Pesci already uh, stabbed him a num- number of times and stuff like that. They're going to go off and bury him. And everything, and that from that scene, that's what sunk me into that movie. And that's definitely, it's quite an opening. 
that was an opening, and that's such a Martin Scorsese thing to actually make us want give us that little bit of mystery element to it. And another thing too is ninety nine percent of that movie was actually true. Well, oh yeah, ninety nine point nine percent of it from Henry uh, going off and meeting his wife at that club, and then all the gangsters and everything is in that club. That was true. And then also, too, you also have um, the guy, Christopher, that was in The Sopranos and everything. He was in um, Goodfellas as well. He played Spider, the guy that got his foot shot. Oh, yeah. And the funny thing is... Poor guy. <laughs> yeah. I felt bad for the guy. Because oh, me too. In The Sopranos, he, he goes over to the... Um, deli place, not deli, but the Italian pastry place, and to go and get Tony and the rest of the um, gangsters some Italian pastries. Well, he got tired of waiting. There's a there's this other guy that went on ahead and skipped him in line. Finally, he got tired of waiting, so he winds up flipping the sign over to close. And you know, right then and there, that that owner is in trouble. Mm-hmm. And and Chris goes. What the fuck are you doing? He goes, what are you talking about? He goes, I've been waiting three hours in this damn line. And this guy comes in and skips me. He goes, well, he said he was going to be back. So that means I get to go go home, screw your mother, and then come back and get my <clears throat> pastries. So anyways, he winds up shooting the guy in the foot. <laughs> so oh. basically, right. So paid homage to that uh, scene. But, you know, uh, back to the Goodfellas thing, though, what I liked was the chemistry that Joe Pesci had with Ray Loretta. And then, oh, also, yeah. Uh, do you think I'm a clown? That's actually my favorite line. Oh, I, I was going to mention that scene if you didn't mention it. I absolutely, that's probably my favorite scene in the whole movie, is that whole clown uh, debate. He terrifies him. Right, but because it's he's... all a joke. <laughs> Exactly, and that's also um, Henry's first time actually being involved with the mob as an adult and everything, and Joe Pesci's character can fly off the handle sometimes, so he doesn't know how he's going to react to certain things, so he's like, uh-oh, did I just piss off my friend? Yeah, <laughs> one of the great things about this movie, too, is, as you said, it is very accurate. They base it off of uh, Henry Hill's like actual testimony of what what went on, and even he said uh, after the movie came out that it was very accurate and he did a great job. And he even complimented Joe Pesci's uh, role as playing Tommy, saying that uh, like he was almost just like him. Uh, and so that's also pretty terrifying to know that like this isn't over the top acting, like. He was that unstable and that crazy uh, doing all this mob stuff. Exactly. <clears throat> and then there was another thing, too, that uh, Henry did was the fact he did do the uh, cocaine in the 70s. Oh, well, yeah, it's the 70s. <laughs> and uh, Of course, it's the 70s. It's going to happen. But the whole entire thing is after he got out of prison, because here's the thing. He did go to prison for hanging this guy in the lion's den 
at the zoo at San Diego or Florida. No, it was Florida. And so I was a B. The guy that they were hanging upside down was actually related to somebody in the FBI. Oh, jeez. So that was actually true. They had no idea that this person had connections within the FBI or anything like that, that his sister worked for the FBI. So they got off on that account with just the regular jury and him them getting arrested. But then the FBI came along and wanted justice for what happened. So therefore, I mean, that makes sense. yeah. So I didn't know that aspect. I found that out. But you know, he spent ten years in prison for that, wow. and then then he gets out. And this is also true too because of that scene where Polly is talking to 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 Henry and says, "Look, I don't want you on that shit no more." He goes, "What shit?" He goes, "I." He goes, "Don't play stupid with me." He goes, "I don't want you on that coke." I don't want you to be selling it or anything. He goes, I, he goes, I swear, I don't know I don't know what you're talking about. He goes, kid, don't know how to play stupid. <laughs> yeah. And another thing, too, was the Italian suit that he bought when we first started out, that was true. It was Easter Sunday, and he wanted to buy a suit for Easter Sunday. And his mother goes, I raised a gangster. <laughs> and... Huh? Yeah, yeah. Dress for the job you want, right? <sighs> and get this: even the father did not approve of his job or anything like that. When Henry would go on him and buy him stuff, he would just throw it away or not even touch it because he knew it came from people that he didn't want bad blood. And then on top of that, he was even parking cars for the gangsters, uh, washing their cars better than the, any of the uh, car washes would do. And everything else, and making more money than his father was. So that, wow. actually, yeah, that part was true. Them threatening the uh, the mailman, that was true. I don't oh. know if you remember. I don't know if you remember that scene. Um, I think so vaguely. It's a. I just know that like pretty much the entire movie tried to remain on the fact of what. You know, of course, you know, liberties are taken in movies all the time. Right. But I know that, like, pretty, if it happened in a movie, it's probably true and happened. It may not happen exactly that way, right. but it happened. Right. Because in that scene, <clears throat> they did went on ahead and they went on ahead and st- stuck the guy's head in a pizza oven. And told them not to mm. be sent, yeah, and not to be sending any more report cards from the school. Right, right, right. I, re- I remember this part now. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, dang, I wish I had some gangster friends like that <laughs> in a certain sense. Where it's like, okay, you got it, yeah. Okay, well, this is what we're gonna do. We're gonna go put your head in the, in an oven. You're not gonna be able to send any more report cards to my son anymore. But. That part was actually true, where they actually did threaten the uh, postman. Or postman. Yeah, <laughs> doing his job. All he was doing was just sending a po- um a report card. But you know, it just goes to show how great of a director Morris Scorsese is when it comes down to directing um, movies that's based off of true stories and everything. And of course, you know, you also had Robert De Niro as the Irishman. 
I still haven't seen it. It's on my list. I have it saved on my list, and I still just haven't gotten around to it. Well, he actually played another Irish guy in this movie. He's actually an... uh, No, no, no. He's actually Italian. My bad. Henry was the Irish guy in this movie. Okay. Um, Henry was the Irish guy, which means that he would never... Right, because he he couldn't become a made man. Right, he could never become a made man. Because of the fact he's Irish, and they have to track it all the way back up to Italy. Yeah. And everything. It's just crazy about how the books actually work for that. That was a great movie. I, I like that movie. I do, too. Um, what's your number two? So, my number two is based on the life of my favorite military general who ever existed, and that is the movie Patton. That was a good movie. Yes, uh, Patton is uh, my fi- my favorite military general. Uh, I absolutely friggin' love all his World War II stuff, and I think George C. Scott just did like an awesome job of playing this this. Uh, you know, his nickname in real life was Old Blood and Guts. And I really think I'm... that that Scott really brings out that whole like don't mess with him kind of uh, aura that he just radiates. Uh, his own men, he would, uh, he was known to yell and get all up in his own men's faces and they had, and they did not fear him. They respected him. But the Germans, they feared him. And I feel like this movie shows that in a, in a lot of ways of how he kind of was over the top uh, with his whole personality was just huge, but he channeled that energy and that energy and like was just a great military tactician and just a badass. Just like a he real was. badass <laughs> throughout this whole war. He kept he time after time after time did things that the other generals will all be like, you can't do that, like that's impossible. And then he went and he did it. And uh like just George C. Scott, this his whole uh, like, I think I feel like he really shows it uh, the great way, and they, and it won, it won best picture, and I think and George C. Scott I think also won best actor. Yeah, uh, yeah. So, um, this awesome movie. I love that movie. Matter of fact, I remember watching that in World History. Most of the great movies that I've seen that was uh, related towards World War Two was actually in World History class. <laughs> <laughs> well, good. But, I was happy that I had a good teacher like that, though. Um, like, Coach Williams put that on. And I remember whenever Patton's standing up in the uh, with the American flag and giving his speech. And you can tell that he meant business. He meant what he said. Oh, yeah. And that was it. So that's and actually, he, that scene is actually about three different real speeches by Patton combined into one speech that they kind of, like, pick and piece uh, different cool. parts from. Yeah. You see, I didn't know that. Oh, yeah. I know a lot about him. <laughs> He's my favorite, you know, real-life general. So, of course, they right. do. there is embellishments done in the movie, of course, um, where, like, certain things uh, didn't happen exactly that way. But, for like, for example, that speech in the beginning, it's a couple of different speeches put together. But, like, uh, he, for the most part, it does follow his military campaign quite accurately of what he did. That part where he slaps the soldier and he has to give the public apology, that's true, that really happened. 
uh, when he was had to go liberate the uh, 101st Airborne from Bastogne. And uh, they were like, oh, like, you got to get there. And he's like, oh, I'll make it there in this amount of time. And they're like, you can't do that. And then he did. <laughs> like, all that stuff is true. Um, he's just, just such a such a badass general who just was respected and loved by his men. And he's one of the only uh, American generals who was actually feared by the Germans. That's pretty cool. <laughs> right. And then they actually amplified that onto the screen too, which, which is something that I really liked because you, you know, you actually read that in the history books and everything about how strong Patton is, but to actually see it on the screen to be portrayed that way. It was just great because I wanted to see that. Oh yeah. They, they do a great job of it. And then also to the dinner scene whenever he's sitting down with everybody and everything too. That was good. I, I love when the, the chaplain asked him, he's like, do you read the Bible? Every goddamn day. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, I can see people like, they have some awkward uh, faces like, hey, we, maybe we should that. <laughs> Let's move on to something else. <laughs> uh, oh, it's great. He's uh, he's actually my uh, extra credit for my uh, in my World War II test when I teach US two. Uh, as always, who is uh, my favorite uh, general? And it's always the extra credit. And they should get it because I talk about him all the freaking time. You <laughs> see them saying, "Well, he should shut up." We get <laughs> you like Patton. Let's go on ahead and talk about something else. No, <laughs> <laughs> I can just see your class though. Matter of fact, I had a, another teacher that was awesome, just like you are, though. With uh, he would actually make um, geography fun. He would go on ahead and he would say, "Okay, you're gonna let's today's a good day. Let's let's everyone just cheat, cheat today." And everybody's just looking <laughs> at him, like, "Is he serious?" And they're not even cheating; they're actually trying to stipe because. What's wrong with you guys? I gave you permission to cheat, and you're not even cheating. That's funny. And then he goes, you're going to get this off the blank market. And he goes, really? You guys don't know that? (laughs) (laughs) But, you know, it's just, I just love history in general. And to see Patton portrayed the way it was portrayed was just fantastic. I really like Patton. Oh, yeah. I'm glad that you actually heard that. But uh, my number two is actually going to be a NASA movie where it's going to be Hidden Figures. I haven't seen that yet. I really want to. It's got the girl who plays uh, Cookie on the on Empire, which is Paula P. Henson, I think her name is. And then the girl who played in that horror movie, Ma, she also played in another movie where she's like, a, it's called The Help. But anyways, just to know that these ladies actually, um, nobody actually thought that these ladies were actually smart. They actually thought that they were beneath everybody. And here they are figuring out quantum uh, uh, physics and everything else to try and help with the whole entire NASA thing. And everybody was just shocked at the time that that women can actually do a better job than a man could. Because at that time, it was pretty much like a man's world. Yeah. Not only, 
not only a man's world, but uh, a white man's world. Right. And then also, too, another thing, too, is the fact, like, they're also dealing with that. They're dealing with racism. They're dealing with a whole bunch of other political issues that's actually stopping them to do what they love doing, which is science. And these women were very outspoken, very blunt about what they wanted to do. There was even, all except maybe one of them, because she was a little bit, she was actually scared to step out because of the fact that she was uh, always around this one white scientist and everything. And, you know, she was actually solving the problems for the scientists and everything. And she, he didn't even realize that what she was doing. So, like, maybe the next day he would come in and she, she would already have everything figured out. And he's like, well, who did this? And all the guys were just looking around like, I didn't do that. I didn't do that. And then here she is off to the side just being proud of herself. Uh, I I hold such respect for them for uh, me too for, for really like going out there uh, where women and not only women but colored women also just uh, in the field of science they you know that they weren't really respected at all and no. here they go joining NASA uh, and really showing like hey look I can do this too in fact I can do it better than <laughs> I can do it better than you. Right, and, uh, like that takes guts. It takes a lot of it guts. Really does. What I have to say is that was that's very ballsy. You know what I'm yeah. saying? Like, I get. Yeah, that I, I really want to see that movie. I've uh, it's one of the t- towards the top of my list because I heard it was fantastic. I know, uh, the real one of the real characters just passed away like a couple of weeks ago. Yeah. Uh, and oh man, I want to see it. I heard nothing but good things about about it from everyone who I know who's seen it. Yeah, I saw it on Redbox whenever it first got released on Redbox. I think it might be on Amazon Prime now, or it could be on Hulu. I'm not 100% sure, but you might be able to check that out. Yeah, I'll definitely check it out. Because, like I said, they're represented in the way that they needed to be represented in. And they give them full respect on how they were represented. And that's what I liked about it. Good. Was, was that. Um, so, what's yours? What would yours number two? Well, number three be? Uh, so this one's kind of cheating a little bit because it's a twofer. Because I feel like you can't watch one without watching the other, so I kind of combine them into both to be my number three. And that's Letters from Iwo Jima and Flags of Our Fathers. You see, I haven't seen either one of those. Oh, dude! All right, <laughs> so uh, both of them take place uh World War Two movies about the Battle of Iwo Jima. Uh, which is one of the last battles of the Second World War. You ever see the picture of the soldiers raising up the flag? Yeah, I remember that. That, that is Iwo Jima. That is on top of Mount Suribachi. Oh, okay. Uh, yeah, on Iwo Jima. So, Letters from Iwo Jima is from the Japanese perspective of that battle, and Flags of Our Fathers is from the Americans' pr- perspective of that same battle. And it follows the guys who rose that flag. And uh, I feel like... Uh, people need to see both because most of the time when we learn history, we're learning from just one side. And usually it's the side of the victor, you know, of uh, what what really happened. <clears throat> and this gives both sides, it shows what uh, both of them were going through, both the Americans and the Japanese, and how they both thought that they were the right. You know, they both thought they were the good guys. Uh, both of these movies are also directed by Clint Eastwood, 
you did both okay. of them. Uh, and one of the things I like about Letters from Iwo Jima is it's actually in Japanese uh, with subtitles. So That's like, it, cool. yeah, so like it really tries to immerse you in uh, this whole, you know, this is from their perspective. Uh, there, you know, there are Americans in it. And when the Americans talk, it's in English. And it also goes to show that not all the Americans really were the good guys. Uh, there's right. one scene in particular where a guy, a, a Japanese soldier is captured by the Americans and they don't feel like guarding him. So I'll leave it to your imagination of what they do. So like, uh, Oh, I'm sorry. Go on. No, no, no. Go ahead. You see, I like that aspect because I'm just going to recite something from The Walking Dead because, you you know, uh, Rick's crew and everything, they're always trying to survive. They're always taking down this person or that person. And the thing that Carol said last season, well, th this season, was are we the villains or are we the heroes in somebody else's tale? In somebody else's journey? And what you just said represents just that where it's like okay we're thinking that we're the good guys and then they're also thinking that they're the good guys but they're seeing us as the villain right and i love that I, that's why i feel like both of these movies need to be seen uh because it gives you that double-sided perspective it doesn't give you just the american viewpoint or just the japanese viewpoint you get both of them and they're both directed by Clint Eastwood. he did a phenomenal job uh and Flies of Our Father, they're both uh, tried to be based on true characters. Flies of Our Fathers follows the actual story of the guys who rose the flag on Mount Sarabachi. Uh, so those are real people. And Letters from Iwo Jima is based off of letters written by soldiers from that battle. So that's also based uh, on mostly true events. <clears throat> so it's, it's, it's pretty deep, pretty cool movie. I like it a lot. How's the chemistry and all that? I mean, I, I'm just wondering, like, how's the cinematography and all that stuff? Oh, they're very well done. Uh, both the movies, um, they're unique in their own way because Flags of Our Fathers kind of does, like, back and forth between flashbacks of the battle and what they went through afterwards, um, whereas Letters from Iwo Jima is mostly the battle itself and, uh, the, and what the Japanese, like, went through during this battle, uh, including the, uh, the suicides that the Japanese were uh, pretty known for doing. Uh, and it's, it's, pretty, it's pretty well done. Um, you can tell there are two different movies, uh, mainly because one is uh, kind of what happened after the battle with flashbacks, and another one is during the battle. But that also kind of makes it go together. So you can watch letters from Iwo Jima, which is during the battle, and then Sagas of Our Fathers, which takes place shortly after, uh, with the American victory. And uh, it's it's great. I think I, I definitely think that uh, <clears throat> I honestly like Letters from Iwo Jima more uh, because it does give that alternate perspective that we are not used to. We are not used to movies that portray who we deem the bad guys as the good guys you know, in their mind. So right. that's why course, I like that more. Right. And of course, <clears throat> in American film, we're always received as the good guy. Right, so. right. So that's why I love Letters from Iwo Jima. Is it's, it's good to get out of that mindset and into the mindset of someone who we declared enemy to show that really they're not much different than us. 
I like that. I'm going to have to check those two out for sure. I'm going to look on Amazon Prime and everything later on and just to check check and see if that's available. I own them. <laughs> I own both of them. I bought them. I love them so much. <laughs> I actually show five of our fathers uh, in my class. Okay. I'm going to watch it next week. I wish I was sitting in that class. I would definitely be watching it. <laughs> um, let's see here. This is actually going to be my number three is Painting Game. I don't um, know. Never even heard of it, to be honest. Okay. Let me just tell you this. You're going to call me a liar that this is actually based on a true story. This is the things I'm going to tell you about it. Okay. And get this. Michael Bay directed this movie. Okay. Mark Wahlberg is in it. The Rock is in it. Then you also have Anthony Mackie in, in this movie. And they're, uh, they're bodybuilders. And basically, in Mark Wahlberg's mind, he wants to be the most professional, perfect bodybuilder to where he wants to have his own gym. He wants to have his own uh, powder and everything. You know what I'm talking about? Like the calcium powders and stuff like that. Yeah, yeah. He wants to, ha- he wants to be like the top notch of weightlifting. And Tony Shalhoub, the guy who plays Monk, is in it. No, this is all made up. No. How do I, how, do I, how are there so many of these like big name actors in this movie that I've never heard of? And this is based on a true story. When I'm once I tell you everything that went down, you're gonna call me a liar. But Tony Shalhoub is actually a client of Mark Wahlberg's. Anthony Mackie is also Mark Wahlberg's friend. But get this, they come out later on, so does The Rock. But basically, he winds up telling, um, Tony Shalhoub winds up telling Mark Wahlberg all the places he has. He has his own sub business, uh, making, uh, like, Subway sandwiches and stuff like that. He tells him about that. He tells him about all of his other businesses and stuff like that. And he has his own mansion. And then there's also the other part, too, where you have The Rock who's also a skateboarder, <laughs> which I can't even see him being a skateboarder. But no, I can't either. Because all he did does all he did in the that first part was hit somebody upside the head with a skateboard. But that's a very typical rock thing to do. But once you get into it, pretty much what they do is they go over to Tony Chaloup's house. Well, first they decide that they're going to try and kidnap him. So there's what? Yeah, they, they're going to try and uh, kidnap Tony Shalhoub. And what they do is they're waiting outside for him and they're disguised as ninjas. Oh my yeah, God. They're, <laughs> they're disguised as ninjas and this actually happened. You made this movie. No, up. I didn't. <laughs> and that's actually what happened. They actually disguised themselves as ninjas <laughs> and they got the wrong car and everything wrong. And basically, by the time that they were trying to go on ahead and kidnap him, Tony Shalhoub gets in his car and drives off. The second time they try uh, try and take him is when they dressed up as a green alien. And basically, Mark Wahlberg says, this thing is going to be a piece of cake. We'll let him sign a couple of documents. We'll get his mansion and everything, and it'll be over and done, just like the movie. 
And so, get this. They went on ahead. They ran the guy over. They burned the guy. Oh, my God. (laughs) Oh, this is ridiculous. It is. It really is. Ed Harris is even in this movie, too. He plays a P.I. What? Yeah. How have I never seen this movie? I don't know. I don't know why. This sounds fantastic. They're jocks. It's basically what jocks would do. If... All, all, their, all their brains were in their arms. Right. That's where all the muscle went to. Basically, it's the Jersey Shore of, of trying to kidnap somebody. Oh, God. But anyways, they burn him. They run him over. Tony Shalhoub does sign the house over to them, to them. And the neighbors are even asking them, how do you get the house? He goes, oh, we're really good friends with him and everything. And the poor guy's laid up in a hospital bed. And he's trying to tell the cops that he was kidnapped by ninjas or aliens. Oh my and God. nobody believes him. So he takes a chance on a PI, hoping that he would actually investigate it, hoping that he could get his life back. And Ed Harris is not even believing him. He thinks that he's a total nut job at first and hangs up on him. And of course, Tony Shalhoub is also an asshole in the movie, too. Of course. He's a d- total douchebag in the movie. But, so anyways, get this. All that stuff actually happened in real life. Uh, the P.I. guy didn't want to take a chance on him because they thought he was full of crap. Him getting burned and run over. That was true. Then, The Rock tries to become friends with Tony Shalhoub while he's being kidnapped. And he's like, he goes, okay, Vincent, I'm gonna be, I'm the nice guy here. Let's, I'm gonna go on ahead and feed you. (laughs) And he's also, get this, he's also, (laughs) you're gonna crack up laughing once I tell you what the Rock is also an emotional character as well. He's sensitive. And he's also a born-again Christian. Oh, yeah. No. So, um, not only that, but Tony Shalhoub also owns a bunch of, like, crazy sex toys and stuff like this in the warehouse. So they also blackmail him into signing the house. And like I said before, the neighbors are even asking them, how do, do they know him or anything like that? Oh, we're good friends with Vincent and everything. We're really good buddies and everything. He he said he was going to be moving out of town, so he went on ahead and signed the house over to us. Then after that happens, they accidentally kill somebody. Those guys are idiots. Yes. <laughs> like, one of the guys who I think was a weightlifter or something like that, I haven't seen the film in a while, but he's all, he's lifting the weights, and then... All of a sudden, the weights, uh, they wind up dropping the weight on his head or something. And all of a sudden, they're trying to clean up the mess. And they also killed his, the guy's wife. So they're trying to figure out how they're going to go ahead and kill this guy. How they're going to get rid oh of the body. So, like I said, and there was like a, a lot of complaints whenever uh, this movie was actually made. Because it seemed like Michael Bay made this into a dark comedy. And everything because of the way that it's actually perceived on the screen. It, it sounds hilarious, not gonna lie. <laughs> I'm gonna be honest with you, I was cracking up laughing watching this movie. 
because of how ridiculous Mark Wahlberg's character is and the way he thinks and also the way Anthony Mackie's character also thinks too because Anthony Mackie's also not all all, all up there either and it also has uh, Rebel Wilson in there too who plays a uh, penis doctor who's trying to help heal Anthony Mackie's reptile dysfunction I need to see this movie <laughs> I mean, I mean guys, get this you can actually find that movie in a $5 bin over at Walmart I the I uh, next time I'm at Walmart, I gotta find this movie. This movie came out in 2013, <laughs> and I mean it, it's actually really good. I'm not giving away too much information or anything like that. There's still plenty of two and a half hours that you can go ahead and watch, and still feel fresh on it. All right, good. I gotta do that. But yeah, <laughs> that was my number three. <laughs> so, what's on your number four list? Uh, mine is a movie called The Iceman. I didn't see that one. Uh, so it is obviously based on true story. You would probably like it because it is kind of a gangster movie. Okay. Uh, so it is based on the true story of a mob hitman uh, slash serial killer named Richard Kukwinski. Uh And he is played by uh, Michael Shannon. He does a great job of it. Uh, and also, uh, Chris Evans is in this movie. He plays another serial killer slash hitman. And James Franco and Winona Ryder are also in Oh, and uh, uh, Ray, Ray Liotta is in it, too. What? So, yeah, yeah. It's, oh, man, it's so good. So, um, Richard, uh, Richard Kukwinski, um is a guy who, like, nobody suspects of being a serial killer. Uh, so he was m- mainly a hitman, but he also did, like, when he just lost his temper, he would just, like, kill you. Right. Um, but So he was kind of also a serial killer in some ways. Um, and he uh, was kind of like he wore sweaters all the time, and he was this Polish guy who with, who just looked, like just an average Joe family man, his family never knew his real job. His wife and his uh, kids never knew that he was a hitman. Um, and he just lived this whole fake life. And meanwhile, he claims to have killed well over a hundred people. Uh, there on HBO, they have a three-part documentary series where you're uh, interviewing him uh, on HBO, uh, the real him, and like he goes over some of the things that he did to people. And you're just like, holy crap, this guy is messed up. <laughs> and some of the stuff they go over in the movie, but it pretty much follows his journey from pretty much just becoming like a like a muscle guy for the mob with a bad temper to becoming a well-renowned hitman who works for the mob and works for some of the top people uh, and how he got away with it for so long. Uh, so they call and it's a true story so like uh, like his method of killing people is true like he would and it's how he got the nickname the Iceman is he would kill them and he would freeze their bodies in a deep freezer for like weeks and then dump their bodies so that way the detectives couldn't figure out what their, when their time of death was oh wow so it made it much more difficult to find out like when this person died and stuff like that uh, because, you know, their their body was frozen for so long that it made it difficult to find to determine when. 
uh, and he kind of teams up with other hitmen. Uh, there are parts of it that are embellished, definitely. Uh, Richard Kuklinski also had a habit of claiming to have killed people that he didn't kill, kind of just to, like, after he was caught, kind of, it's one of those things, like, I'm already caught, like, screw it. Like, why not just say I did this and did that? Uh, so he is known for doing that. So, and they include some of the people that he says he killed, but there's no real, like, evidence that he did, uh, including, like, some mob bosses. But, um, it's a really cool movie. He, uh, Michael Shannon's freaking awesome, and he's just, like, cold as ice throughout this movie. He's, oh, wow. he's scary. He's just, he's really scary in this movie. Like, the, like the, his whole look is just, like, you can see him being, like, going from zero to 100 to be, like, I'm fine and happy to. I'm going to freaking strangle you with my bare hands. Damn. Uh, yeah, oh, it's a great movie. You see. And, it's, and he's in New, uh, New Jersey also. That's from New Jersey, so my home state. <laughs> That's crazy, though. I'm surprised I've never seen this movie. Oh, yeah, it's great. And then it's great. I bet the character interaction with Winona Ryder and Ray Loretta and everything else is really good, too. Oh, yeah, it's awesome. Um, I'm pretty sure uh, Yoda plays one of, like, the mob bosses. Um, Chris Evans plays another hitman. That's actually pretty crazy, <laughs> so, though, because it just shows you the level of what Chris Evans can actually do, though. And you wouldn't know it's Chris Evans. Really? I honestly had no idea. Yeah, he's he doesn't doesn't even look like him. Like uh, what he what he ends up, who the character he plays. He's got like a beard and all this stuff going on. Uh, it's a great movie. That was pretty. It's awesome. I love this movie. Oh wow! I'm gonna have to check it out. Yeah. Uh, speaking of Michael Shannon, though, he was in that show Boardwalk Empire, and I know that you also like um history and stuff like that like I do but it takes place yes. during the prohibition and it has Steve Buscemi in it and oh yeah I'm, I know I've been to uh, the Steve Buscemi's character's house oh, wow. <laughs> not not been there but I've seen it because I live in Jersey right. so <laughs> but I'm just going to be honest with you that is the most accurate timeline that they actually had for the for the history of the whole prohibition and everything Oh yeah. So and Michael Michael Shannon actually plays an FBI agent. That's actually crazy and scary. I yeah, I've I've heard nothing but good things about that show. It, it's uh, on my bucket list, but I just got to get around to dedicating my time to. All right, I just want to give you. So a already have a huge list of shows. Right, I just want to give you a little FYI on it because of the fact I know that you like history, and of course you mentioned Michael Shannon, so I figured you know going ahead and mention that. I appreciate. You're it. welcome. Um. But for my number four, I'm going to put American Gangster on there with Denzel oh, and Russell Crowe. Yeah, that's a good one. This movie came out in 2006 and also had T.I. in it, which was his uh, basically his not his first film, but that's also what started the ATL uh, movie as well, with him being in his own biopic for ATL. But anyways, American Gangster was one of my favorite movies of 2006 whenever it came out just because of the fact that yeah I'm attracted to gangster movies and stuff like that but you know the fact that it is 99.9% accurate because I remember when Denzel Washington actually visited Frank Lucas and he actually told him he goes look you did some messed up stuff 
He goes, I'm not here to worship the ground that you walked on or anything like that. He goes, I'm just here to find out what you did so I can portray the character the way I need to actually portray the character. He goes, because I'm not here to glorify you. I'm here to do a job. Yeah, I mean, that's what makes a good movie. Right. But that opening scene, and in case anybody doesn't know what American Gangster is, it's basically where it takes place in the 1970s, I believe. And during those times, people were mostly focused on the Italian mob. They were focused on white people. They weren't focused on color, uh, people of color or anything like that. They were That was like on the bottom of their list. So pretty much Frank could actually do just about anything he um, whatever he wanted to do because he was under everybody's radar. He was just hiding in plain sight. Right. And nobody... Nobody was paying attention to him. Right, exactly. And then, wasn't it heroin that he was selling? If I'm not mistaken. I think, I'm pretty sure. I know it was drugs. Yeah, I think it was heroin. Um, Blue Magic was the name. I think so. Um, he was also during the uh, Vietnam War, too. Yeah, it's been a long time since I've seen that movie, but I remember it was a really good one. Right. I want to say it was heroin, though, because of the fact that I remember it was 100% heroin, because he actually had to go all the way to Cuba to get it and get it shipped on the military plane from Vietnam over to the United States, and he actually had a way of actually transferring it over uh, with the troops coming in. Yeah, I'm pretty sure it was heroin. Yes, yes, in the casket. Right. <laughs> Oh, jeez. <laughs> that was just crazy how he had that thing organized. I mean, I think he also had his cousin working for him with that whole entire shipment of how he yeah. was in the military. And then he also arranged a meeting in uh, on in, on Vietnam soil to try and get 100% heroin so he can get it into the state. But, you know, what I liked about it, too, was the fact, you know, Okay, Frank is a bad guy. We all know that. Then Russell Crowe's also going through a divorce. He's also banging the lawyer that's representing him. <laughs> so it's definitely, he's not as innocent Ida or anything like that, but he's still not on the same level as Frank. But still, he's still not the greatest person on the wor- in the world either. No, not going to lie, though. I also absolutely love Denzel Washington. I do, too. Like, he's fantastic in just about everything he does. Um, Same thing with Russell Crowe. Let's see, what else can I say about this movie? Because I really enjoyed it. Was the fact, the opening scene where you actually see them actually uh, dumping the gasoline on this one person and then burning him. And you can actually, to me, I could actually feel the tension with that person getting ready, knows that that, that's his last time that he's even going to be on this earth. Because Frank's about to burn him alive, and you can actually feel the flames coming from up from that. And then uh, another thing too is, if it wasn't for that fur coat that his girlfriend bought him or his wife bought him, he would have still been under those police radar. <laughs> yeah, I know, right? Because of that whole entire pimp suit and everything that she actually gave him, basically because of the fur coat. And if it wasn't for that fur coat he would have still been under the cop's radar. But the fun fact is uh, the cop that actually arrested him and everything, he he actually picked him up from jail after uh, he got released. That part was true. Really? Yeah, that part was actually true. 
really? That's cool. I didn't know that was true. Yeah, that part was actually true. Uh, Based on the extended cut, because I watched the theatrical cut and I watched the extended cut, he does pick him up from from the uh, when he gets released from prison and everything, and then he tells him, you know, I could because I could make one call and I could be right back in business again. <laughs> but you know, and uh, you know, of course, the cop said you better not do that or whatever. But it's just the whole fact. It's just goes to, don't do that. It's bad, right? It just goes to show you how smooth Denzel is actually is playing this character, and how many layers he has to this character. But yeah, definitely. But what's your number uh, five? So uh, my number five is a movie I can almost guarantee you've never heard of because it is a TV movie. Okay. So it was never in theaters, uh, which is very unfortunate because uh, I absolutely love this movie uh, called The Lost Battalion. I think I've heard of it, but at the same time, I don't think I have. So I don't know. I don't know if it's a little bit cheating or not because we're doing a favorite movie list. I, I consider it a movie. TV movie. All right, cool. Because I absolutely love this movie. Um, excuse me. It is a World War One movie. And it's, it's, again, true story of when uh, this battalion of soldiers goes on the offensive into the Ardennes Forest uh, to, you know, overthrow the Germans. And this is World War One, So it's the technology and all that stuff isn't anywhere near it is today. <clears throat> so they don't really have, like, uh, any, they don't have wireless radios. Or anything like that. All the radios are like have the long cords and stuff like that. And what ends up happening is they, uh, it's an American battalion. They're supposed to go in with two other battalions next to them, and those other two retreat backwards, but they don't know that. So they end up getting surrounded completely by the Germans. Oh wow! Completely cut off from uh, from their own supply lines, cut off from their own men. Uh, on totally on their own is about I think a little over 500 men, just on their own, uh, completely surrounded. They they cut their radio wires, the Germans, so they were communicating back and forth with their command via carrier pigeons, and it's just them trying to survive. No supplies to re- resupply their ammo. Uh, they're being constantly bombarded. Uh, from multiple angles at one point in the movie and, and this really happened is they send uh, what they believe are the coordinates to where the Germans are back to their own artillery lines and their artillery lines the allies start firing on them instead of the Germans Oh, and they're trying to get yeah oh man it's just brutal and this whole thing is just like how are they going to get out of this you know how are they going to survive long enough to to get through this battle, and it's a real shame that it wasn't in the movies because I think it would have done great. Uh, <clears throat> it doesn't really have any uh, like really famous people in it. And the main guy is uh, Rick Schroeder, uh, but like there's there's no one really like super famous that you would like know of if I called it out. But uh. I just thought it was very well done. The acting in it is great of just this desperation. It's to the point where they're running out of food. They're running out of ammo. They're picking up the guns off of the dead soldiers' bodies so that way they have bullets. Like, it's just 
fantastically well done. I'm going to have to check uh, that out. Yeah, I, um, I think actually it is on Amazon Prime. I think <clears throat> I bought it, so it's so like I just have it. <laughs> but uh, I think it's available for streaming though. Okay, I'm gonna have to check it out because I do have I do have Prime. I'm actually uh, borrowing somebody somebody's account, so I might actually. Check it out. Nice. <laughs> so let's see here. For me. For number five, I actually have Wolf of Wall Street. That's on my list also. All right. So, of course, I like more Scorsese movies and stuff like that. But I love mm-hmm. how he actually goes into the uh, Jordan Belfort thing about how he starts off as this nice guy, which also stars Leonardo DiCaprio. It's got Jonah Hill in it. But I like how Leonardo goes into it fresh out of college and he's thinking that he's going to be able to make millions off of Wall Street. And then also, too, he's also going into it as a straightforward guy where he's not doing any drugs. He's not doing any of the things that these Wall Street brokers are doing or anything like that. He's not following in the lingo of that. He's just a straight cut guy. And then all of a sudden he meets Matthew McConaughey and he asks him about my favorite part is how many times a day do you masturbate? <laughs> yeah, bump those numbers up. Those are rookie numbers. And then he, <laughs> then he goes, uh, so let me get this straight. He's, and this is my favorite part, though. He goes, let me get this straight. So this is how much money that's actually on the paper. He goes, yeah, but they, here's the great thing. It's not actually there. It's there on paper, but it's, whoo, it's, it's a Volgazi. It doesn't exist. It's fake what was represented on the paper is not actually what's really there. As a matter of fact, there's probably not any money there at all. So he's they're they're thinking they're getting twenty five thousand, but really they're not. They're not getting any money from the stock. We are. Because we're making the commission off of it. So I actually like that part where Matt McConaughey is actually trying to make him change and twist Leonardo DiCaprio into the way that Wall Street brokers actually are. And then, of course, you know, the Wall Street thing goes down. And then that's whenever the movie takes off from there, where he's actually in this little small uh, broker's office. And he's hustling these customers to try and get them to buy this little stock and hopefully to make the commission off of the uh, stock. But I thought. Yeah, I love, uh, I love how, like, they really kind of teach you about economics they really do all that's going on of how of how the whole of how the actual process works like it kind of goes into like lessons about all right this is what we're going to do this is how it's supposed to work this is how we're going to make it work for us it like goes into the logistics of it which is pretty cool so you actually know what's going on you're not kind of just lost in this lingo of like uh what's he doing and why he like explains it Exactly, and that's what I liked about it too was the fact that you are actually learning from a stockbroker in a way of how stockbrokers actually hustles the clients out of their money and how they build an empire off of what you thought was going to be your money, but really it's their money now, and they built this big old huge empire over it. And so I, I really, really think that Leonardo DiCaprio deserves to win the Oscar for Best Actor for this. I agree with you. I I will go to my grave <laughs> saying that. That Quaalude scene. He did such a good, such a good job in this movie. Oh my god, that uh, Quaalude part where, 
was so funny. It was. It really was. <laughs> and I like how he, he was crawling. Yeah. And he thought that he actually made it all the way back without scratching, scratching the car. Just destroyed. Oh my god, I love that movie so much. That movie was su- such a great movie. It's just that I believe that it had a lot to do with the fact that it was uh, controversial because of the fact you had Jordan Belfort, the real Jordan Belfort, being mad at the fact that there were some inconsist- uh, inaccuracies in the movie and how he was being portrayed in the movie. That was, a, that was one thing. Then the over amount of F-bombs that was actually in the movie itself, people were talking about. Oh, yeah. Because they broke the <laughs> record of the number of F-bombs in a movie. Because don't get me wrong, Goodfellas had a I didn't of, know that. Huh? I didn't know yeah, that. It, it, um, I'm going to have to send you a link out on that and everything. But this broke the record of number of F-bombs that Marshall Stacey actually had in the movie. That's freaking hilarious. It really is. And, you know, it just was so controversial and over the top at the time. And it won a couple of Golden Globes or either that or was nominated for a couple of Golden Globes, which don't really, Golden Globes don't really impress me that much. It's the Oscar that actually impresses me more. Because it's basically everybody gets a Golden Globe just about, or you get nominated for a Golden Globe. But the Oscar is like being at the World Series. It's basically where one team can outshine another team and see who's actually better than the other team and everything. Yeah. And that's, it was nominated for a couple right. Oscars, but it just didn't, it just didn't hit. I, it, I, I feel like it deserved them. I, especially, like I said, I will forever say that Leo deserved the best actor Oscar for this movie. Right. This was so, so good. I thought it was better than the Revenant, to be honest with you. I, yes. Yes, I agree, a hundred percent. And don't get me wrong, I like, mean, uh, I felt bad for the guy. The guy's eating uh, squirrels. He's cutting in a horse to get a, an Academy Award. I know, but he just something how he portrayed uh, himself in the Wolf of Wall Street though just outshined it to be honest. The way he portrayed him was just great. And then Jonah Hill too. He was also nominated for a an Academy Award as well. For what's the word I'm looking for? Best supporting, yeah, right? Best supporting actor, and John Bernthal <clears throat> was in that movie too. The guy who plays the Punisher. Uh, was he? Who was he? Yeah, he who was did he guy, play in that? He was the guy with the beard. Uh, who, remember when Jonah Hill was pissing the guy off? Oh my gosh, that is him. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> but I didn't even realize that it was him. But Jonah Hill, it just goes to show you that Jonah Hill can do more than just donor comedies and stuff. Yes, he has. I was not expecting him to be as good as that movie because normally he is, like you said, this donor fat funny kid. Right. And he's this is a serious role. And but get this though, that's not his first serious role though. He also played in um, a few movie a few years back. He played in Moneyball with Brad Pitt. And he was also nominated. Yeah. And he did a good job with that. He just has so much level of debt to where he can actually do just about anything. You know? 
Yeah, he's a good actor. I like him a lot. But, the whole movie, this whole movie, Wolf of Wall Street, is just phenomenal. Definitely not for kids. Definitely not. <laughs> the opening scene where he's uh, snorting cocaine off of a hooker's butt, I, I don't think that would can be considered a family-oriented uh, film. <laughs> no, I don't think so. <laughs> or the fact that you have Margaret Robbie spreading her legs open and doing like a very Harley Quinn type of thing. Yeah, but I mean, come on. <laughs> Margot Robbie. Right. <laughs> got all of her. Right? But overall, the film is just phenomenal. If you haven't seen Wolf of Wall Street, check it out. I strongly recommend it. Oh, yeah. Me too. That's, that is the number seven on my list. It is? Okay. Or no, number no number eight on my number list. Number eight? Okay. <clears throat> so, let's go with your number seven. All right. Or, um, wait, we're on number six. We're on number seven. Yeah. Okay. So, so let's go with uh, number six. Uh, Cinderella Man that. is my number six. I'm actually surprised you actually have that on your list because I know that you're not really that much of a uh, sport. I'm not a sports guy. Right. No, no, I'm not. However, I love this movie because Russell Crowe is phenomenal in it. And although it is a sports movie, it is not only a sports movie. Uh, it revolves around the Great Depression. That's true. And and what the struggle that people had to go through just to survive in it. And it's a and I feel like it's a great story because it is it really is a Cinderella story. Uh this guy, uh Russell Crowe plays uh, a boxer named uh Jimmy Braddock and he is like at the top of his game. He's like pretty much the champion at this point, making what at this time what would be considered millions and millions of dollars per uh you know and then 15 minutes into the movie Great Depression hits and he's going the morning without eating because you can't afford it you, you know like they're living in in this little pretty much one bedroom apartment uh it, it's just it's just crazy watching like this fall fall from grace down and his struggle to stay on top. He can't really box anymore. He's not, uh, he, he hurt his hand, and so he can't really do it anymore. And so he's working the docks, and that's not so good. And it's a real struggle. And it kind of, he just, he gets really lucky and ends up uh, pretty much pushing his way back. Um, Paul, uh, Paul Giamatti? Yeah, Paul Giamatti. Yep. Uh, he is fantastic as his agent, uh, Joe, Joe Gould, um, and I love I love him in this movie because he like he doesn't give up in Jimmy. He believes in him. He helps him get back on top, and then he ends up uh, becoming a heavyweight champion. Like it's like a story of the underdog. But <laughs> but but uh, it, it's really the story of this guy falling from grace, hitting literally rock bottom to where he at one point he's begging for money just to pay his electric bill. And then how he rises back up out of those ashes uh, to, to be a better person, better man, and, and pretty much save his family. Uh, it's, just, it's just, and it's a true story also from New Jersey. <laughs> so uh, I'm sensing the theme here. But um, uh, I show this uh, in my class also at the end of the Great Depression. And uh, there was only one student this year that I had who had already seen it. None of my other students in my class had seen it. And 
at the end of the movie, they were all like, that was amazing, Mr. L. I love that movie. It was so good. And I'm like, I know, right? Because it's not just, it's got a little bit of everything. It's a love story between him and his wife and his family, trying to keep them together. It's uh, an action story because it's got the boxing and the fighting. And it's a drama because it's a struggle. And it's got like a little bit of something for everybody in it. Uh, and it's a true story. Right. And that's uh, exactly so why just, I like it. Yeah, it's a phenomenal movie. And they really, really, really try to keep it accurate, which is another thing that I love about it. In fact, one of his uh, grandchildren is in the movie, plays the character. Uh, but, like, they really try to keep it accurate. There's only one kind of inconsistency, and it's not a major one, and that's just how they portray one of his opponents. But other than that, it's they try to keep it very true to what happened. Uh very accurate. They interviewed his family, had a big part in making the movie, so it's it's awesome. All right. Um, like I said, this is that's actually one of my favorite movies as well for Cinderella Man, and I I do like that movie as well. Um, for my number uh for number six, I got The Pursuit of Happiness with Will Smith. Oh yeah, that's a good one. And Jaden Smith. And this movie is a tearjerker from the because you it's a story of an underdog, basically, because you have Will Smith who's struggling uh, to actually get a job at a, um as a Scott broker as well, and he's also trying to take care of his son. His wife walks out on him, and just and not only that, but he's also hit rock bottom because of that, and it's also during a bad time as well where with the economy and stuff like that and he's have, actually has to go from shelter to shelter hoping that they would actually take him in and actually try and get his son a bed to actually lay in and then also too i remember too that they actually had to try and beat other people to the shelter be, uh, oh yeah everything too so the way they can actually have a place and when, when they didn't, weren't they, like, stay, sleeping in the subway or something yeah. like that? Yeah. Like, yeah. Yeah. Oh. Powerful stuff. And then he was also trying to sell that breathing machine, too, I believe. Yeah, it was just pretty much, like, a farce. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then they were with that. But... I think, it was a, I think it was a portable x-ray machine. That's right. It was like was x-ray. A, yeah. I couldn't remember what it what it was because it's been so long, but I still remember. Yeah, it's been a while since I've seen it too. But I just remember how impactful it was because of the fact that you want Will Smith to come up from the ashes like a phoenix and just do good because of the fact that he's just a father who's trying to do the right thing for his son and struggling out on the streets of New York and. Finally, he lands his job interview, and you're hoping that these stockbrokers will listen to him and actually take him in. And, you know, it's just a great movie of just an underdog trying to do the right thing. And that's what I like. I like stories about an underdog trying to do the right thing for his family or for his kid and just trying to survive. Yeah, you're rooting for him the whole time. And you, know, you, really, you really know that he's in the tough and you want him to succeed and watching him struggle. Right, and then as soon as you think that he's about to succeed, something bad winds up happening to him. I know, every time. <laughs> and I'm like, this is life. <laughs> when you think you have life all figured out, it kicks you back out rock bottom. 
and then you have your good days, and then it goes right back down to the thing again. <laughs> yeah. I, one of my favorite parts of that movie is that uh, Chris Gardner is in it also, and when him and Will Smith like walk past each other on the street, I just feel like that's like a super emotional part. And I know it's nothing like nothing crazy. It's not like a big like scene, but I just love that they did that. That that happened. That was a great cameo appearance. Yeah, it was because of the fact you know. It's like I. It's like walking in your past, where you're seeing yourself in somebody else's shoes, and they're walking in your shoes. Yeah. And you're actually seeing yourself as that person, and then you're walking by that person. There you are from the past, and then you are from the future, type of thing. If that yeah. Sense. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. And, uh, I just I don't, that scene always sticks with me. I I don't blame you. That would actually stick with me too, because of the fact that it's a it's a reputation—not a reputation, but a representation of what you used to be, and now here you are, not having to be be there that be struggling anymore. Yeah. So that's what I liked about the pursuit of happiness, and it's just that pursuit of trying to be happy. Not actually here. Great movie. Right. So. What's your number eight? I think because you said number seven was already. Yeah, Wolf of Wall Street. We already checked off. Okay. Uh, so, uh, Hotel Rwanda. I haven't seen that one. Oh <laughs> man, it is it is a tough one to watch. You see, you're if, I, if I'm completely world, honest. So. <laughs> uh, that, that excites me. That's awesome because I know you're like a huge movie guru. Uh, guru so like. Like, oh man, I've seen stuff that John hasn't. What? <laughs> but uh, Hotel Rwanda is a really rough one uh, because it is about the Rwandan genocide. Uh, so kind of goes along with Schindler's List, where it's you know, um, where it's a movie about people trying to struggle through a time where literally everyone around you is trying to kill you. Uh, it's a and it's not a genocide that happened like seventy five years ago, like World War Two. It happened in the nineties. Really? Uh, yeah, we're in in the African African country of Rwanda. We're pretty much uh, there's two kind of um, kind of like tribes slash ethnicities in there called the uh, the Hutu and the Tutsi, and the Hutu uh, kind of throw an uprising against the Tutsi and start just massacring them killing all the Tutsi in, in the country. And there's this guy, it's based on uh, the main character, uh, it's played by uh, Don John uh, Don Cheadle, or che- Cheadle, how do you say his name? Uh, it's Don Cheadle, you got it right. Cheadle, right. So he plays the manager of this hotel called Hotel Rwanda. Uh, which, Paul is his first name, his last name is, uh, I can't never pronounce. <laughs> um, but he plays the manager of a hotel and he opens his door to a whole bunch of these Tutsi refugees and allows them to stay in his room, stay in the hotel, kind of, which is like walled off from the rest. And meanwhile, his hotel is surrounded by Hutu militia who are trying, who want nothing more than to murder these people, these innocent men, women, and children inside of uh, this hotel. And it's him bribing them, trying to get them to back off in any way he can to save these people's and his own 
uh, life. And the, the UN is there, and they're pretty much they're like trying, but they're not really doing much. And it's really a struggle of survival of how of using bribery and just just um and just outwitting also uh, these people who are committing a genocide. Uh, it's very powerful, very emotional. Uh, it's it's gonna be a rough watch at sometimes because because the main weapon that they used were uh, machetes. Oh wow! So yeah, so there's some pretty rough scenes. Um, but it's another story of you know someone trying to survive a genocide and what they have to go through. The real uh, hotel manager, I believe, he won like a Nobel Peace Prize or something like that. Also. So I'm gonna have to dig into that story, even um, seeing the movie as well. Yeah, yeah, it's a it's a rough one, but it's very powerful and very well done. I'm gonna have to keep that on my radar. Um, for my number eight, I'm gonna put down fighting with my family. And <laughs> get this: this is actually a little bit outside my element, a little bit because it's actually dealing with wrestling. <laughs> Oh, okay. And Sounds honestly like a like a comedy. It's like <laughs> a comedy, but it's also based on a true story as well. Like there are some, all right, yeah. Uh, basically, I I grew up with wrestling and stuff like that. I I remember the whole entire WWF era to the time that it got changed to the WWE. I remember. <laughs> I remember that. <laughs> I remember the uh, Tupac suck it. I remember when the Rock came. I remember the Triple H and Undertaker, not Triple H, but the Undertaker and Jeff Hardy match, the latter match, which is like one of the last matches that I watched as a wrestling fan. I remember Booker T. I remember every single wrestler that stepped into the ring just about. But Fighting With My Family is probably one of the films that I really have to say had a lot of heart to it. And as a matter of fact, you can actually watch this on Hulu, not on Hulu, but on Prime, on Amazon Prime. And basically, it's about the story of a brother and sister who grew up in London, and their family is big into wrestling. So that's why it's called Fighting With My Family. It's because they're wrestling. They're a wrestling family. Okay. In London, and they actually have their own amateur bo- uh, not boxing, but wrestling, and they both try out for the WWE. Vince Vaughn is even in this movie. Oh, I like Vince Vaughn. Vince Vaughn has huge depth that, like, really I feel like does. everybody thinks of Vince Vaughn as, like, a comedy actor. He can do a lot more. He can. He can. With the right script, he can do drama. He can do comedy. He can do just about anything. As a matter of fact, he's actually mm-hmm. the tryout coach. But their number one goal in this movie mm-hmm. is to be in the WWE together and everything. And so, you know, they go on ahead, they try out. For the WWE. The brother does not make it in the WWE. So he's stuck in London doing immature wrestling and picking up other people that are into wrestling and tra- uh, training them and doing everything else. And then Paige, she's, she's like this gothic girl trying to fit into the WWE kind of style trying to figure out where she's going to go in this whole entire WWE thing. And she's trying to be trained as a WWE superstar as well. Not only does she actually have to train herself to do the wrestling moves and everything, don't get me wrong, she can do wrestling moves, but they will have to do it the way 
that the WWE hasn't set up. So she's trying to actually fit in with that. And also, too, in the tryouts, you know, you also have, uh, you know how they always smack talk each other? Oh, yeah. And stuff like that. <laughs> well, she has to try and smack talk and also back it up at the same time. And if you don't smack, and get this, Vince Vaughn goes, okay, you're making me tired. I heard the same thing over and over again. Do you have something else? Anything? No? He goes, he goes, okay, go, uh, okay, Goth, go on ahead, sit over there until you find something more creative. You have to find your own voice in the WWE is what he's trying to say. He goes, right. he goes if you don't say anything at all, the crowd's going to eat you alive. Not only is the crowd going to eat you alive, your star, your start as a WWE superstar is not even going to even happen. And also, too, the wrestlers are also going to eat you up, too. So then she's realizing, too, okay, maybe the goth look is not for her. She changes her hairstyle. She goes into the whole entire thing, and then she decides to try and become be herself again. But global pursuit. Yeah. So it's like I said, it's an underdog story. She's trying to figure out who she is in the WWE, trying to find a voice for her. And then also too, The Rock is in this movie too. He makes a special Again? <laughs> yeah, he makes a special of cameo appearance whenever the brother and the sister both show up at the WWE tryouts. He goes, Excuse me, Mr. Rock, sir, do you have any advice? Because you guys show up like uh like Oliver Twist and everything, expecting me to excuse me, sir. Do you want to? Can I get you some porridge? Because no, you sit your ass down and everything, and you work hard just like everybody else does. <laughs> so, um, he goes, and that is how you become a WWE superstar. And he walks off, but it just shows you how much, not wrong, <laughs> no. And it just shows you how much training actually goes into this and the writing, of course, too. Because, yes, it's it's choreographed and everything. And it's also acted. But it shows you the writing styles of what the writers actually have to go through trying to write stuff. And then also, too, pushing yourself to the limit of in the tryouts. And Paige pushed herself in the tryouts with picking up a tire and uh, basically trying to get one side, get one into the other with the tire, with this big old huge tractor tire and everything. And oh, Vince, yeah, and then Spawn is over there trying to say, "Okay, want to blow the horn? I know you're tired. You might as well just go ahead and give it up." And he does that to every single girl that actually gives up, that wants to give up. So I mean, it's a fantastic movie. I really have to say it. Sounds cool. And like I said, I'm not really, huh? I'm not really like big onto the whole wrestling thing. Like as you know, I'm not a big sports guy. But sounds like a pretty interesting movie, though. It is it's a really interesting movie. Sometimes I like to actually challenge myself and go outside my element of comfort just to try something new. That, that's always a good thing, right? I mean, well, not always a good no. thing, but it's usually a good. Thing. Sometimes it is. Sometimes it isn't. <laughs> it's like. The, yeah. it's like but what's what would you say your number eight is? Uh, Argo. That was a good film. As a matter of fact, that was yes. Uh, I think it won Best Picture. If I'm 
I think it. I think it did. Or uh, and William H. Macy. That's something. <laughs> um, but uh, I think I I love this movie a lot. Um, and the fact that it is based on a true story just makes it awesome. Uh, it did win Best Picture actually. Now, yes, yes, it did. Uh, but um, so it is uh, directed by and stars Ben Affleck. And Ben Affleck is like is like a super secret CIA agent who specializes in like hostage situations. And it's based on the true story of the uh, the Iranian hostage crisis in the uh, 1970s, where uh, the U.S. embassy in Iran was taken over by some Iranian rebels and a bunch of people were taken hostage and a couple of other people escaped, but they had no way of actually getting out of the country. And so, uh, you know, Ben Affleck goes in and comes up with a crazy plan of, I'm going to make a movie and they're going to be my crew and then we're going to leave. And it goes through this whole, like, it goes into things that you, never thought about with uh, like these secret CIA things. Like normally you think of like a super top secret CIA mission of hostage rescue. You think of like, all right, SEAL Team 6 goes in and they snipe this guy, get that guy and all this extraction, you know, but this was like totally under the radar. They created fake businesses, fake movies, fake posters even to advertise this movie so that, and like all this stuff and Probably my favorite thing about this movie, honestly, is that Argo is the name of the fake movie they were making, and then they named this movie Argo. <laughs> I just absolutely love that. It's great. Uh, like that's that's such a cool thing to do. Um, but I love this movie. It just it it keeps you on the edge of your seat so many times. There's just nail biting situations where like how the hell are they going to get through this? Uh, and it's just very well done. And then they also have to train the embassy, too, to be those people, like, extras, directors for this fake movie. Yeah, like, these aren't these aren't trained CIA agents who can do something like this. These are, like, accountants, most of them. You know, like, they've never done anything like this in their life. And it's like, all right, you guys are going to take on the role of a secret agent now. And I remember he's, like, he gives them their, their fake roles. Right. And he, like, drills them and drills them and drills them. And, like, when they mess up, like, boom, you're dead. And it's like, yeah, that's exactly what would happen. That's got to be freaking nerve-wracking. Right. Uh, and they only had so many hours to actually do that, to actually uh, remember everything. And, yeah, it's got a bunch of cool people. I mean, Ben Affleck's the main guy. Uh, John, I love John Goodman. John Goodman was great in this movie. He's great in this movie. And it's got a... Brian Cranston too is pretty awesome in it, but uh, yeah, it's a, I love I love that movie. I think it's very well done. To be honest with you, that's actually what got me into being a Ben Affleck fan was Argo. Yeah, that- uh, before this movie, I think he was kind of hit or miss, right, with me. Um, but after this movie, I started looking at some of his other works again, uh, more like more recent works. And, and a lot of them are, are really good. I agree with you. Like the writing style, the direction, and then uh, too, whenever they're being questioned at the and everything else, and they're like, what's that? Oh, that's my storyboards. 
then he has they actually have to tell a story with that storyboard and remember what their storyboard is actually about. Yeah. They're so, legitimately making a fake movie, like with a real <laughs> process. Maybe that's what uh they need to do with some films. <laughs> See how yeah. But I really have to say I enjoyed Argo as well. And that's also what turned it around for me for Ben Affleck as an actor and also writer, even director. Um, yeah. Yeah. It's great that I think I always think it's awesome when a director can also that can also be like the star of a movie because that's two jobs are working now, both of which are not easy. No, absolutely <laughs> not. And a matter of fact, I mean, I'm this has nothing to do with Ben Affleck or anything like that, or but Anthony Mackie told Sylvester Stallone that he wanted to direct and be in the next Creed movie. So he goes, Kid, I've done it. Don't do it. Yeah. <laughs> you're gonna no. be emotionally drained. You're gonna wish that you never did direct and act at the same time. And he says, stick to what you know. You know acting. So stick to that. And I like the fact that he's actually managing him like he's a like he's Rocky even outside of the ring. <laughs> yeah. So that's what I that's a little something I wanted to actually put in there. But Argo definitely a, a, a well written film and perfectly well directed film. Um, for me, for number nine would be Remember the Titans. Oh, I have I saw that movie so long ago that I saw that in a movie theater in my town that does not exist anymore. <laughs> oh, wow. That's crazy. But I remember, I didn't go to the movies to go see it. And that, for the simple fact was, number one, I didn't drive. Number two, you know, I was pretty much a loner. So, therefore, I didn't really have that many friends or whatever. So, I only what? caught it, like, when my teacher's like, hey, I got Remember the Times on VHS. My mom took me. <laughs> but I remember watching it at, in the school, and basically it's just about it's about Ben uh, Denzel Washington. He's actually the coach for this uh, football team. Ed Harris is in it, and basically they're he's fighting against the, this town who's racist about racism, b- not being able to have, have the same rights as white people do, and inside a restaurant. Even bonding with uh, people of color and everything is actually considered wrong on the white people on white people's side, and same thing on the black people's side as well. Everybody just wants to go on it. And not only that, but even at that time too, they're actually very divided. Even whenever they're in, the, in their football camp, and yeah. But then he goes, "What are you guys waiting for? You guys have to learn to work together as a team. You guys actually have to tackle each other." You actually have to work together as a team so you can take down this other team. And he and the acting in it is just phenomenal. And then the little uh, girl that's actually in the movie, too, that's Ed Harris's daughter. She was my favorite thing in the movie, where she's just cussing at the players t- and, <laughs> and stuff like that. And she goes, oh, my God, you're messing up the play. You're doing this wrong. She's just yeah, like she's a great. And no, it's not Ed Harris, but it's another guy that I believe that is actually the coach. But you know, I just love the chemistry between Denzel Washington and the other the coach that's actually helping him too, because I've and there he's actually trying to teach their his kids also to the values of right and wrong, being of what morals, 
And then, of course, like I said, Denzel Washington is also dealing with racism and other things within that mm-hmm. So I really have to say, this movie is actually really well written. Then I love the whole entire thing with Sunshine, where everybody thinks that he's actually gay whenever he's really not gay. And then the smack talk that they actually do in the locker room was actually pretty funny, too. Where he said, oh, That's yeah. a great movie. It was. It had drama. It had love. It had everything that you wanted. Yeah, that that's 1970s struggle. Like, I feel like a lot of people kind of don't feel that that happens so recently. Right. You know, like in the 70s, there's racism was still a huge problem, especially in the South. Right. And this is, I remember the uh the scene with the big game and the refs are throwing the game and the and it's for no reason other than because, you know, Denzel Washington is the other coach, and it's just such like a them literally fighting to win a football game. <laughs> uh, it, but it means so much more than just that to them. Uh, it's a great, great movie. Really well done. I agree with you, hands down. Um, what would you say your number nine is, though? Uh, well, we're kind of... Sk- I'm actually up to my number 10 because we skipped The Wolf of Wall Street for me. Oh, yeah, that's right. So you're up so, to number 10. Yeah, so my number 10 is Alpha Dog. That movie was good. That movie is... I feel like it's not as well-known of a movie as it should be. My no. wife is actually the one who showed me this movie. It's actually um, underrated. Before that, I'd never even heard of it. Yeah, it's highly underrated. Yeah, uh, and it's it's a really messed up story, too, um, about, you know... Uh, this 15-year-old kid, this, this literally this kid gets kidnapped by drug dealers because his brother won't pay, and I think it's something stupid, like 200 bucks or something, like real, or like two or $500, like something that's like not even a lot of money. And, and, right. and they kill him. <laughs> what? Uh, it's and I think Justin Timberlake is in it, which yeah. is also kind of weird. Bruce Willis, uh, Anton Yelchin, Sharon Stone is in it. Yeah, like uh, it's got a lot of really uh, pretty big people in it, and I feel like it just kind of flew under the radar that not a lot of people uh, know about it. But it really is a pretty powerful story about what and of this like this kid has no idea the twisted. That his life is about to throw him. This just is literally his kid. He's like fifteen, uh, and in this world of and and I think probably the worst part about the movie is that like he feels like he's safe and that these guys are kind of like his friends almost. Right, because he even loses virginity. He's yeah. partying with people. He's part yeah. He's partying with them. He's having fun and. And just it ends in the worst way possible. Uh, but I but I like how throughout the movie when it shows different when new people are introduced into the movie, it gives a like witness number, you know, whatever. Like it's still like like the movie is kind of like watching a detective case be built also while you're doing while they're doing it. Right. You know what I mean? Right. And it shows you how uh, stupid they are too. Oh yeah, they're dumb. The kidnappers are really dumb, <laughs> but but I mean they do it. They right. 
succeed in what they wanted to do, which was to threaten, you know, the other family. Like, it's just it's messed up. It's a, I really feel like it's an underrated movie that, like, almost nobody has seen it. Or uh, when I mention it to other people, they're like, oh, no, I've never heard it before. So I'm really happy you have. Yeah, um, I a matter of fact, one of my matter of fact, I remember watching it back when I used to work in housekeeping. And the x-ray tech that I'm friends with, he was like, do you want to watch Alpha Dog? So him and I would go and get some takeout from Chinese, and we were watching Alpha Dog. And I just fell in love with the movie so much that I actually had to pick it up on DVD. I just could not, I could not uh, keep my eyes off of the movie at all. I was like, okay, I'm going to have to go on ahead and buy this thing. Oh, yeah. It's, it's very well done. It's a great movie. Uh <laughs> And I actually had to buy it just to watch it for the first time because it wasn't on any like streaming anything, and my wife insisted. She saw it like in uh, like the five dollar bin or an FIE somewhere, and she was like, "Oh, have you ever seen this?" I'm like, "No, never heard of it." She's like, "We're getting it. We gotta get it. You gotta see it." <laughs> I'm like, all right, and man, am I happy I did. Yeah, that movie came out I think in '07, I believe. Oh, but, I have no idea. <laughs> yeah, it came out in like 2007, but it's such a well-grounded movie, and then. Also, too, Bruce Willis is actually uh, it's basically basically dysfunctional families. If you think about yeah. it, yeah, not one single person is even functional in this movie. Yeah, definitely. I feel like that's a good thing about it too is that it doesn't paint this perfect picture. Is that it shows people have problems and it shows like uh, even nor- even normal people. Because I mean that that teenage kid's family doesn't seem like the owing a drug dealer money type family you know they're just living in the suburbs and they're a strange and family they get they get just caught up in this whole mess uh because even the even their oldest son is also spun out on drugs yeah too and everything but that one scene where he kicks his own dad's butt because he's high that was oh uh, yeah, but the movie was really well grounded. I, I do have to give you props on that. That was really good. Yeah, that, I love that movie. Very yeah, as a, as you said, super underrated. Definitely a pretty powerful movie. For messed my, up ending. Let's see. For my number ten, I'm putting down uh the fire. For my number the ten, fire. The fighter. Never heard of it. The fighter. Oh, the fighter. Yeah. Fighter, fighter. Also, never heard of it. <laughs> okay, it's got Christian Bale. And it, and it's okay. Got, and it's got Mark Wahlberg in it. And, you have my attention. And it is based off a true story. It's actually about a boxer, and Christian Bale was this big, huge fighter at this one time, and he was actually the champion. And then he wound up becoming washed up. To the point where HBO was like, hey, we're going to go in and put a documentary out on you. Training your brother to be a fighter. And the guy, Christian Beale, I mean, he's a drug addict and everything else in the movie. And he lost, like, tons of weight. He was really skinny, just like Matthew McConaughey was. And you can actually tell that that he was actually addicted to drugs. Christian Bale is really... Up and down. he's really good at going up and down with his weight for movie roles. He really Christian is. Bale. He, he's he's a, I mean, uh, like I don't know if you've ever seen The Machinist. 
Yep. Or he's literally like a skeleton, and then, and then he goes to freaking Batman. Right. <laughs> you know. Like... And that's how he is in this movie. He's really super skinny. And matter of fact, uh, too, they think that the the new girl that Mark Wahlberg is dating is just after his money and everything, and don't doesn't even really love Mark Wahlberg or anything like that. And then Mickey, which is actually Christian Bale's character. Every single time whenever his parents ring the doorbell or whatever at this crack house or when Mark Wahlberg would go in here and ring the doorbell to find out where he's at. Of course, they already know he's there. He would go on ahead, hop out the window and land on some garbage bags <laughs> trying to sneak yeah. out of the house. But it just goes to show you that, you know, the brothers and even though they're brothers and they're different from each other, Mark Wahlberg is still going to try and take Mickey's side no matter what because he's there that's his brother but he's also slowing Mark Wahlberg down from being the fighter that he can be and everything because if he winds up succeeding it's like Mark Wahlberg uh, not Mark, Mark Wahlberg but Christian Bale's character is the one that's taking the back seat because that's who he used to be and he's and Mark Wahlberg's achieving that dream and you know a matter of fact he was actually late for the training session and they actually had to get somebody else to go ahead and do the training session instead of Mickey. And Mickey goes, well, I'm here now. And everything. And Mark Wahlberg goes, it doesn't matter. You weren't here. For my... That's messed up. That's yeah. bad. And the family's also dysfunctional in this movie. I would imagine. As well. That <laughs> So on both, so Mickey's parents and Mark Wahlberg's parents are very dysfunctional people. You have conflict because of the fact Mark Wahlberg is in love with this girl. I think she's a stripper. I'm not 100% sure. I can't remember. But I remember the scenes. I remember uh, loving the story of the fact that, you know, you have Mark Wahlberg's dream of becoming this big, huge professional fighter and actually being a champion. And then here you have this other brother that's slowing him down from being what he what he wants to be because of his drug addiction. But it's based off that's a true story. Sounds pretty awesome. It's sounds like a good cool. movie. Sounds like a roller coaster, to be honest. It really is. Because when you think it's going to go this way, it goes a completely different way. So, I mean, if you haven't seen it, check it out. I think you're going to. Yeah, sounds it. cool. Sounds good. I like, I'm a big fan of Bale, big fan of Mark Wahlberg. That sounds pretty awesome. But that's it for my top list. Yeah, I'm done, I'm done too. All right. Uh, I love based on true story movies. I mean, I'm a history teacher. So <laughs> so what, one of my favorite things, I kind of annoy a lot of my friends and family with it because we'll watch a based on true story movie that, you know, I automatically want to watch because it's based on a true story. And then after the movie's over, I die. I like, research it on my own and I just pick apart the movie and I'm like oh well this has happened this way and this is true and this is fake and it's just like Greg shut up I just want to enjoy the movie <laughs> like, I, don't, I don't care about the actual history it's a good movie shut up well that's but, like uh, my 8th grade uh, history teacher Coach Ross he'll stop him the last, last of the Mohicans and he goes you know what's wrong with this picture because what's that he put up, put his laser up to the TV. He goes, this right here is Hollywood. This gun's not real. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, there's always things like that in movies. Right. Uh, 
I mean, it's Hollywood. Right. <laughs> and I was like, you're just ruining the movie for me. <laughs> Over, done, turn it off. Right. <laughs> but, uh, like, I'm always fine based on a true story. I think this is great because they can be really inspirational. Most of the time, they can be really, really inspirational and talk about someone who went through something and really struggled and ended up coming out on top. And uh, it kind of gives you a little bit of hope of that, like, uh, you know, you can do something like that, too. You know, if uh, put in the in that kind of situation. And a lot of some of these guys aren't, like, superhero people. I mean, Pursue the Happiness is just some guy. Some guys down on his luck went homeless. He's not, you know, uh, some ex-heavyweight fighter like in Cinderella Man who goes down on his luck. It's just some dude. Right. Not and, all heroes uh, wear capes. Exactly. Uh, so I love based on true story movies. Not, not only from the perspective of a history teacher, but from the perspective of that inspiration that can come from these things. To be like, this is so awesome, and it really happened. I agree with you 100%. So, I think that's going to do it for today's uh, podcast and everything. I just want to say thanks, Rick, for... Uh, coming out and everything and being able to do this thank you for having me always a pleasure you're very welcome i'm glad to actually have you for the top 10 show so anyways i'm john from movie lovers unite and rick going ahead Uh, i'm rick uh you can find me at the joker unleashed on facebook if you want a big joker fan uh john's a member of that too but definitely definitely check out his movies pages freaking awesome all right thanks man i do appreciate that And until next time, bye-bye. All right. Have a good one.